<laughs> oh no, this isn't Survivor. <laughs> oh man. Hi guys. Hey. Hi guys. What's up? <laughs> Welcome to the thirteenth floor, listeners. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And this is the thirteenth floor podcast where we talk about all things strange. If we had a theme, a little soundboard, that's what I would do. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gonna go see uh, Spider-Man tomorrow, so my excitement is through the roof. Oh, Oh. man, yeah. Yeah. Yep, we're gonna go see it. I've been playing the Spider-Man game. It's been fun. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. You guys are dorks. Hmm. The the story in it is, like, surprisingly good. It is. And the mechanics, uh, yeah, it's basically, like, Arkham Spider Edition, basically. Yeah, it is. It is, but, man, that story. (laughs) It's a good one. I'm just going to pretend like I know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I do here. What about you all? You all cat? You all been watching anything or anything like that lately? Um, Just a lot of Impractical Jokers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. That, that's that's me and Cece's go-to. Like, I don't want to watch. I don't want to have to really pay attention. But then we always end up paying attention. We end up paying attention. We both always end up laughing uh, really hard. Yeah. At least, at least one time through it, and that's more than I can say for a lot of comedies out there. But true, it's a good show. Anyways, let me think. What has been happening? At our, I mean, other than having a sick child, a very sick mm. child who is now on the mend. That's good. Ooh, Not- that was a that was a very rough couple of days. Yeah, it was a scary couple of days there for a minute. But oh, what she have? They say that they think that she picked up a virus while she was at the doctor's office being diagnosed with an ear infection. Double ear yeah, infection. Yeah, that happens all the time. All it the was time. terrible. Terrible. Mm. But fortunately, she's back to, to her normal self They now. need to make a, you know, the, have you seen the movie Bubble Boy? <laughs> they need to make little bubbles you can put your baby in and push them around in when you take them to the doctor. That way they don't get any more illnesses well it was funny because when we were at the doctor's office like waiting to get diagnosed with just her regular ear infection there was another kid that was there and she was like playing with Gwen at the table and i asked the mom i was like what's she have and the the kid was like i'm pretty sure i have strep throat and she's like got her hands all over uh, over gwen and i'm just like uh all right yeah dios mio is right got to Get after you go to the doctor's office, just go home and take a really hot shower just to get all the germs off. Yeah, mm. it's necessary. That and a bottle of Purell, <laughs> Purell my entire body. <laughs> um, Alex, I think you have an icebreaker for us. So, the icebreaker is if you could host a game show, and this is one that you would make up, you're making up this game show, what would it be? Right, and I'll go first, give you all time to think. Hmm. Mine would be like a combination of the newlywed okay game, yeah, the newlywed game and Wipeout or something like that. So it involved not only destroying a brand new marriage, <laughs> but also physically abusing these people. <laughs> <laughs> so insult to injury. I feel like something <laughs> wow. like that probably already exists in Japan. Oh, probably uh, everything exists. Everything in exists in Japan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, my favorite type of game shows are all food-based. Game shows? That's a, re- that's a reality show, right? No, where it's like that, like on, uh, what's it called? Grocery games? 
got game in the title. I guess it's you're my right. Favorite. That, that is that is kind of a game. It's, it's a, I don't know. So I guess maybe this is something our listeners make mm. clear up. But what's the difference between a competition and a game show? You know? Ooh. I guess depending on your morals, uh, everything could be a game show. <laughs> <laughs> that's true because like that is a competition that's based on skill. Now, I guess something like Wipeout might be based on skill. Well, well, wait a minute. Somewhere. Wait a minute. Let's just talk about grocery <clears throat> games for a second. Okay. The best game show on TV right now. Mm, um, Guy Fieri is a revelation. But <laughs> they play games like they roll dice and they're like, okay, you have to cook with these three ingredients where you only have $6. That's a game. Yeah. I guess it that sounds is. fun, actually. I know, right? I want to be on that show if I could cook. But uh, I guess I guess you know I'll, I'll give it to you. Thanks. But I think something like The Price Is Right is a game because you're guessing. There's no real there. There's some skill involved, but minimal. Whereas I feel like guys' grocery games. You've got to have skill, and you've got to know how to play the game. Yeah, but it's all it's all skill. It's all skill. But but you know. What, but then bowling is a game, but it's also competition. I don't know. Huh. Whatever. Right. I'm. I, mine would be a food-based game show. All right, show. guy. Okay, but what would be unique about your show, Cease? I would what be would the be? host. And, <laughs> and every person would have to bring me, like, you know the Barkley Marathon? Where he's like, okay, you got to bring me a t-shirt this year. You got to bring me a... That's a that's for those that don't know. It's a really good documentary. documentary. I th- it was on Netflix and then it was on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure what it's on now. Watch it. But the guy who runs the Barkley Marathon, the admission for these people to run in the race, they have to bring like a T-shirt. One year they have to bring sock. One year they have to bring a license plate. Like every year is different. So. so yeah, he just has people bring things that they need. Yeah, for me, every contestant would have to bring me um, some home baked cookies, <laughs> <laughs> and then I would. Pick which cookie I liked best, and that would contribute. Whoever had the best cookie would get a special advantage. Would you, or would you just pick the winner based on the cookie and just let them cook for fun? Because and oh, well, but you wouldn't tell them the till food. the end. You wouldn't tell them till the end. Like, oh, by the way, I'm picking the winner based on. The <laughs> I mean, I wish I could do that, but number one, <laughs> you would have literally one episode, and then be, people would be like, "Oh, I just have to make the best cookie." Mm. Yeah, you're right. So, well, I guess technically you'd have one season. Yeah, so you one, film one se- season. You film one season. <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be my show. It would be called CC Likes Food. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. Make CC cookies. Yeah. What about you, James? Uh, keeping on today's theme, uh, I think my game show would actually be called Heaven, Hell, or Purgatory. Ooh. And Okay, yeah, imagine this, imagine this. Okay, you've got, it's a it's a Jeopardy-style game, so what you have is 10 categories to choose from, but it's just one person at a time. 10 categories, they pick whatever category they feel is strongest. Now, here's where things get complicated. Every right answer they get, the more comfortable they are permitted to be. So they might be standing, they get a right answer, now they can recline on a little couch. They might get a neck pillow, et cetera. Oh, my gosh. Every wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So standing is purgatory. That's the neutral state. Every wrong answer, however, they become more uncomfortable. And that's what would draw the crowds is, you know, imagine that. Imagine having to stand on a block of ice or having ants in your pants for every wrong answer. 
don't know anybody yeah, who would subject powder. themselves to that show. I don't know. People subjected themselves. You mean, really? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen all the game shows lately? Yeah, I guess oh, you would just. They're, they're nightmarish. You would have to have a really good cash prize. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be it. But yeah. if it's just like every wrong answer you get, you're going to, you know, have to stand on a, a bed well, of hot the coals. twist is. The twist is the prize is they get to leave alive and there is no game show. It's just me in a tool shed. It's <laughs> 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 terrifying. Oh. So I guess I'm going first since I'm doing a near death experience as hell. Yeah, right. right? So that, that's a good that's a good transition. But I guess you all were going to lay the groundwork. First. Yeah. What? Who's going first? Well, I figured. You know, I'm kind of. You're the darkest. I'm a little darker. Am I, it's not hmm. too bad because. Okay, so I went down a rabbit hole, everybody. But I guess before we get into my stuff, is there anything you all want to say? Well, I, there are a couple things I want to say. Just get these out of the way at the very beginning. Um, if you're listening to this, listeners, rate and review and subscribe to our podcast, the 13th Floor Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. <laughs> oh, wow. We already ran out, huh? Podbean. <laughs> I just want to make sure that everyone hears this before, like, you know, they arrive at their destination, turn off the podcast, uh, and yeah. never return. So, you guys, rate, review, and subscribe. Also, if you like this podcast, please tell your friends about us, and then tell them to rate, review, and subscribe, and give us five stars. Ideally, that would be like, that's like, you know, the dream come true. Mm-hmm. And then follow us on all social medias, Instagram, Twitter. If you have any topics you want to hear us talk about, like this week we're talking about near-death experiences. Say you want to hear us talk about something like... Yeah, and the, and the topic this week was submitted to us by somebody. It was. It was submitted to us by Sandy. Thank you, Sandy, for this wonderful topic. Yeah, so, and if you all have anything you all want to know more about, something maybe you're already interested in, but maybe you want to see our perspectives, just let us know. Yeah. We'd love to cover it. And if you have any stories for us, say that you've had your own near-death experience, we want to know about it. Let us know. We might mm. read it on the next show. Yeah. Okay, enough about this. Let's talk about near-death experiences, Okay. Yeah. which is why we're here Alex, you researched the t- this terrifying topic of near-death experiences where people say they claim to have gone to the dark place. Yes, <laughs> yes. And the, it's kind of shocking, shockingly rare for people to experience this. Uh, mm, gee, I wonder In comparison, why. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Grandpa, what happened? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Which... You know, it's it's kind of odd, especially with our news cycle. You would think that any time had the hell experience, it would be all over the news. But for some reason, whenever that happens, you, you don't really hear about it. But when you hear about that heaven experience, everybody hears about mm. it. Well, I have a theory on that, why that happens. But Oh, interesting. But uh, so it's kind of like, okay, so everything has been invented, right? And, and what I mean by that is someone had to invent a couch. Someone had to invent every word. Someone had to invent this foam roller that Cece uses every morning. I love it. <laughs> my foam roller to pop my so back. I never think about people having to coin terms. Like, ever. Oh, okay. You know, big feet. Big feet. Yeah. So, I'm going to tell you all the story of the guy who died. And his story inspired a man named Raymond Moody. He's a doctor. And it inspired him to coin the term near-death experience which Mm. you know i didn't even think about that and this was uh 1974 wow that was relatively recent yeah 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 and this this big story is actually from world war ii 
Okay. So, and it, this is a wild one. So, my goal for my research was to focus on like just like the the hell stuff, <laughs> but it very quickly when I found this story evolved into a whole lot more research on this one guy, hmm. and it was really hard to find all the information at first for me because you'd have some websites that would focus on the good things he saw and some websites would only focus on the bad things that he saw. Mm. And so eventually I was able to get everything consolidated. I even found some things that concisely agreed with what I had been writing. But this is the story of George Ritchie. And this took place in 1943 during World War II. But oddly enough, George Ritchie didn't die on the battlefield. <laughs> he just... uh he died in the States, and he died of pneumonia. Mm. Sounds terrible. Yeah, not not the most glorious way There's to no go There's no way out. to go to Valhalla. Yeah, you got to die fighting. That's right. That's right. That's right. So the experience was so, uh, not traumatic, but I guess invigorating for him, that he went on to write a couple books, like they do, but it took him years to write these books, like 40 years oh, to write wow. these books. Oh, wow. But he, but, but he had been telling the story to people for a long time. And so George got pneumonia and he died for nine minutes. And th- they called him. like They called it. And then nine minutes later, the more guy is taking him. And the more guy runs back in the room. He's like, I need adrenaline. This guy's alive. He just came back alive. And so they, they gave him a shot of adrenaline and he's back. Nice. And so George Ritchie has a very interesting story. Not dissimilar to something like The Christmas Carol. Or is that the story? <laughs> yeah, A Christmas Carol, right? Charles yeah, Dickens? Yeah, yeah. where the, the ghosts of Call Christmas the ghosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So only this story involves, at least for a moment, Jesus walking him around hell. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of imagine that this is something sort of like the episode, like the uh, TV show Scared Straight. <laughs> they take kids into prison and try to scare them away from a life of crime. This, that they're going this towards. could be you. Yeah, this could be you. Except for... That that never happens in this story, but I kind of anytime a near death experience is involved with hell, that's kind of what I picture. So it starts. His story starts with him dying in the hospital in Texas, and he doesn't realize he's dead. He starts walking through the hospital, and he gets this urge to. He just thinks to himself, like, you know, I really want to go back to Richmond, Virginia, which is where he started college but never finished. Okay, and. As soon as he thinks this, he flies through all the doors in the hospital and immediately and he's outside. And he's traveling like really, really fast toward mm. Richmond. And so, you know, maybe at this point in time, he's like, well, this is weird, right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe not so normal. But he also has a weird thing. Not only does he have the power of flight, now nobody can see him. So he's just like trying to talk to people. and So he's tra- he, he's transparent. He's He tries to talk to somebody. He tries to like touch somebody. Nothing happens. Okay. You know, we've all seen this in a movie. Yeah, yeah I've seen that yeah. before. Good we've old Fiji wigs. Yeah, yeah. So he, he can't be seen or heard or anything. And he goes back to the army hospital after realizing, you know, well, huh, something's wrong. <laughs> and suddenly when he gets back, he no- well, he notices a that well his body's still laying there. So he had an out of body experience. No, well, yeah. So he's out of body, and then he suddenly feels he, he sees a tremendous light, and he feels really at peace. And it's so bright that he can't even look at it. And then it turns out that Jesus is standing before him. And you know, 
this this kind of falls in line with probably some of your all stories. He feels tremendous sense of calm. He feels like the person vivid like, senses. Yeah, that like, and he immediately understands that Jesus knows everything about him. Okay, like he says, even at a glance, he understands that. Mm. And you know, the interesting thing is some of the questions that Jesus asks him. So uh, Jesus doesn't condemn anything that George Ritchie has done. Instead, he just asks him questions like. What have you done with your life? But he asks it very nicely. Like, he's not insulting he's, him or he's anything. He's a kind guy. Yeah. He's what you probably pictured Jesus would be like. But he's like, what have you done with your life? And he leaves it for George to respond. And, you know, George doesn't really know how to respond. So they decide to go on their Jesus and George's wild adventure. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Oh, man. <laughs> And so he takes them to, through various realms of afterlife. So there's, in this story, there's not one version of hell. There's several. And they're not like rings of hell, like uh, Dante's, Dante's, Inferno. Dante's Inferno or anything like that. I was kind of thinking, we're kind of doing a Dante thing. We're starting with hell and we're making our way up to yeah. heaven in this episode. <laughs> yeah. But there are all various ones. There's one that's way worse than the others. But the first one is he goes and there's some assembly line workers. And they're all sitting there plotting away. And then there's a group of people outside. <laughs> and it's a woman trying to smoke. But every time she goes to grab the cigarette, she can't grab it. And so she also notices that he goes over to a bar. And there's a whole bunch of people sitting in the bar. And they're trying to drink. But none of them can grab the alcohol in front of them. <sighs> and so it's it's Jesus telling them that they're... They're kind of chained to the acts that they did, that their vices in their in their real life. But they can't do it. But, you know, it's almost like their own version of hell. The thing that they held most in the world, I mean, they're unable to interact. Well, that with. sounds a lot okay. like the, the Greek concept of hell. Oh, Cositis. What is? Can you tell me more about that? Uh, it's, it's a place where people are punished in really interesting and ironic ways. Like, for example, it, I mean, the cigarette one, there's, there's a, for example, in Greek hell, uh, and by Greek hell, I mean Greek pagan hell, not Greek Orthodox Christian hell. There are people who are dying of thirst. They are so thirsty. And the water, whenever they, they, they stand upright, it rises and it rises and it rises. But the minute they reach down to take a drink, it just lowers and lowers and lowers. And so they can never drink. Things like that. Huh. Interesting. Uh, and so essentially, they were perpetually doing these things. They never stopped. He said that he did observe one of the sailors fell over and passed out and like this aura came out of him and he immediately went back into place and started trying to grab his drink. And so it just kept happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's got some other ones for suicide and that type of thing, but they, they play out pretty similar, unable to interact with the people or things that they really cared about. Now this, this is an odd one and they call it the receiving station. This but, is another realm. This one isn't kind. This is a. It's a pseudo hell. I guess mm. not really. This is more like a purgatory. Mm. I would say. And so Jesus takes Richie over to another realm, and it's called a receiving station. And the spirits are in this deep hypnotic sleep, and it's for people with certain aspects of. I believe it's Christianity, but I didn't have it all spelled out for me. But the reason I think it's Christianity is because. 
These people are, they're dead, but their souls are still asleep. And it's because they believed that they weren't supposed to go to heaven until Gabriel or someone came along blowing the horn, indicating the, um, why am I blanking on this? Apocalypse? Blanking, uh, the, the apocalypse, but what's the rapture? term for it? Rapture. Uh. Good Lord. Uh, but yeah, indicating the rapture. And so they were all thinking that they had to wait. So it was a way station or a receiving station. Where angels were just like trying to wake everybody up and be like, hey, hey, you can go to heaven. You don't have to wait. Mm. <laughs> and, and so it was just them trying to wake them up and tell them that they don't really have to wait like some of them believed. But the, the this one, this hell is the one that's uh, it's probably more in line with what we would think. Or not like a cartoon depiction or even Dante's version. It's not even close to that. But <laughs> it's a version of hell where... There's no people behaving rationally. So everyone is fighting at each other, Uh. fighting with each other. Everyone's constantly battling. There's no weapons, but it's all hand to hand. Everyone's like. Sounds terrible. Yeah. Mm. Everyone's trying to hurt and kill each other. Everyone's trying to have sex with each other. Everyone's trying to. Lots of apparently like curses are thrown around at everybody, but like to a degree, like. George couldn't really understand it, but he knew that it was worse than anything being said on Earth. Wow. So they got, like, cuss words cranked up to 11. Yeah, that's right. So he's, he's like, horrified at it. You know, he's seeing all these things happen, and it's just, like, it's all about sex and destruction here. Hmm. Like, lots of rape and all that kind of stuff. No, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. But the interesting thing about this is Jesus goes on to tell him that he and God, they never sent these people here. These people chose to go here because they were so ashamed of the things that they had done in their life. And so their their shame drove them away and from encountering Jesus, I guess, at the gates, that they weren't able to live with themselves. And so as a result... So they banished themselves? Right, right. And so, not like on purpose. It's more like... it's It's how you... You view your actions. It's it's their own guilt, their own sin, their own shame led them to that okay. decision. Yeah. Yeah. And he says that any of them can leave whenever they want, but almost all of them are there because of their own shame. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. Uh, and so then he takes them to, I guess, Temple of Wisdom is what I saw some people calling it. And... They travel to this completely different realm, and everyone's dressed like monks and happily engaged in, like, philosophy and art. Like, you know, I guess high sciences, high creative endeavors. Mm. And there's, like, this big library where all these books of the universe are assembled, and Richie asks Jesus, is this heaven? And he says that these are spirits of people that grew beyond selfish desires on Earth, but... Kind of like the spirits in hell, these people don't see Jesus either. Hmm. So it's this one's kind of weird. That you sounds know? very purgatorial to me. Yeah, yeah, it kind of sounds purgatorial to me too because they're. It sounds like to me that they're all condemned to do these things that they were really enjoying. I guess there, but now yeah. they don't have the satisfaction of interacting with people or you know ch- doing any of the things that really define life i would say so it's nerd heaven <laughs> nerd, yeah that's nerd heaven they don't get to interact with people at all <laughs> okay sorry <laughs> but but these aren't miserable people these are 
they said they described them as happily engaged. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then he finally gets a, gets a vision of the heavenly city. And so he's taken into outer space towards a distant city made of brilliant light. I picture uh, Asgard from the Marvel movies. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> because, because it's a floating oh, city in space, according to this description. <laughs> so uh, they said that apparently the description is very similar to the description in uh, the Book of Revelations. and Which is odd because George Ritchie was not religious at the time. He wasn't an atheist, but he didn't he didn't know anything about the Bible really. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's this beautiful city. Uh love is the dominant focus of life. And then he realizes that he's not allowed to enter it. And instead, Jesus shows him the future of Earth and tells him that he needs to go back. And so he sends him back, and through all during all this, he tells Richie. You have 45 years to do something with your life. Well, apparently he wrote his book at 42, <laughs> coming in under the wire. <laughs> but the things he showed him were, it didn't seem like it was like end of the world type stuff. But a lot of people, this is all quotes. I mean, this is like, not quotes, but uh, I'm doing the finger quotes. Okay. <laughs> so the 45 years ran up, and I believe it was 1988. And a lot of people noticed that after 1988, disasters started to occur more often. There was an increase in like weird weather activity, more bad things were starting to happen. But, you know, it's not the apocalypse, but things started changing. Now, I think this is just the increase of information being passed around. So now we know more about everything. Sure. Uh, but the interesting thing, is, I guess, after all that is the reason Richie ran into Moody who is the one that coined the term near-death experience, is they were both doctors. After after this big nine-minute death experience and he's come back to life, he decided he wanted to be a doctor. So he went he became a doctor. Uh, he wrote, I believe he wrote two books, but the biggest book that he wrote was called Return from Tomorrow. And that, that details his experience in like great length. So if this story sounds interesting to anybody, I really recommend you read it because, I mean, I'm only, I'm, I'm giving you a Sparks Notes version of mm-hmm. everything that happened, and uh, but it's a it's a pretty interesting. But when he ran into Moody uh, in the early '70s, Richie broke down his story for Moody, and after that, Moody went on to investigate 150 cases of near death experiences. Like he devoted his life to it after he heard the story, and so he he went and just he really pursued it. What do y'all think about that one? Because I got I got one more. It's a brief one. It's like a dessert. It's like a dessert. It's like a dessert. On top was, of that, that was the main course. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting. I've seen like I did a lot of research on what constitutes a near death experience because it's kind of something that's like kind of confusing in my brain. But I wonder what his personal definition was. Well, he was dead for nine minutes. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's where I it. Mm, I'll talk about it in a minute. Go on. What's but but when me- they resuscitated him, they said that there was nothing wrong, like no brain injuries, no nothing, no brain damage, blah blah blah. All right, it well, was all good. Give me this slice of pie. All right, this slice of pie. The reason I picked this one, I wasn't going to do a second story. The reason I picked this one <laughs> is because it took place in Atlanta. Oh, oh great. <laughs> uh, so Matthew Botsford was standing outside this Atlanta re- uh, restaurant when a shot rang out and. 
he took a bullet to the back of the head. No. Yeah. Probably hurt a little bit. He says it remembers feeling pain like a hot needle driving into his skull. Mm. And then he hit the pavement and everything went black. Apparently, on the way to the hospital, he was declared dead three times. Wow. Before they got to the hospital and put him in a medically induced coma for 27 days. Woohoo. It's a long time. It's <laughs> a long time. And so he describes like the hell that uh, George was probably describing and a number of other stories kind of describe, actually. Mm. And so he's he wakes up and he's suspended, shackled. And hanging over this glowing red pit. And inside the pit, these four-legged creatures come out. No. Yeah, and smoke's coming out. And he sees, like, magma and all that kind of stuff. Nice. And so he said that each plume of smoke contained exactly one tortured soul. And he says he could tell that it was, like, suffering by itself. Wow. And so he could hear everybody screaming. Cece's looking at me like, oh, my this gosh. Is, he, this is so metal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's on. That's why we went with mine first, everybody. <laughs> and so he says he can hear everybody screaming, but he never felt more alone. Ooh, and so I these like four-legged that. creatures come out and they start to eat the skin off of his no legs. No, but a lot like Prometheus in Greek mythology, it just grows back. Yep. And they it keep keeps eating. growing back, and then they keep eating. Another example of how how Cositis works. Yeah, and then finally, a gigantic hand reached through the wall. And pulled him out, and it, all he heard was it say, it's not your time. Mm. And he got pulled back. So was he in this pit for 27 days? Well, I'm not sure that's how time works in these things. Yeah. Mm. I say that because the previous one was a nine-minute death, and it sounded like at least a two-hour movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think time works very differently. Yeah. But, yeah. So I thought I'd give you what y'all were really craving. Yeah, that, last that was cool. All right. <laughs> 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 But George's story was so interesting to me that I felt like I had to. You had to give it some time. Well, especially since it is the origin for the near-death experience term. He went everywhere. He saw it all. Yeah. I mean, he went off. I mean, he really pulled a Dante there. (laughs) Yeah, he really did. (laughs) Cece's like, oh boy, another night. I can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, what's funny, though, is I was expecting like like, a cavalcade of monstrous stories. Because, I mean, some of the hell stories I've read, it's like, oh, man. But these were these were pretty okay. Yeah, some of them. Some of them describe hell as like a really cold place. Some of them describe it as a barren wasteland. Mm-hmm. Some of them describe it as like torture specifically for them. And then some of them describe like what you're saying, like 12-foot monsters, all these different things. But I picked some that I could find on multiple sources so that I knew that they weren't just made yeah. up. Just stories. And this one, and the first one was so important. I felt like I'd have to tell it. Well, thank you for sharing, yeah. Alex. Oh, I feel, you said that like, I feel like a child again. <laughs> like in like grade school. I oh, feel like thank you, Alex, for sharing. That's how I Everyone give him a pause. <laughs> yeah, everybody, let's just pause for a second. You get a gold star, Alex, with a goat oh, head yeah. in the Yay. middle. all right well james it is your turn to talk about purgatory that's right and uh given how few stories there are about purgatory i kind of went off the rails a little bit and more on that later there are several interesting stories about purgatory but unfortunately none of them really that i found were personal they're usually a saint or a monk or a priest or a nun having visions of souls 
from purgatory, which makes sense given that it is an expressly Catholic phenomenon to begin with. So it stands to reason that things like that would uh, transpire within those uh, spiritual circles. But uh, I think the most interesting one that I came across personally is uh, from from my sister M. D.L.C. And uh, yeah, that sounds weird, but that's because her name was to keep her anonymous. So uh, this is her story. She is a obviously a nun, as you can infer by the fact that she's called sister. And uh, here's what happened. She uh, was when she was 36, she began witnessing people from purgatory. Yeah. Weird stuff, right? Mm. And yeah, she claimed that, uh, well, th- let me just start quoting her, actually. She says, I can tell you about the different degrees of purgatory because I have passed through them. In the great purgatory, there are several stages. In the lowest and most painful, it is like a temporary hell. And here there are the sinners who have committed terrible crimes during life and whose death surprised them in that state. It was almost a miracle that they were saved, and often by the prayers of holy parents and other pious persons. Sometimes they did not even have time to confess their sins, and the world thought them lost. But God, whose mercy is infinite, gave them at the moment of death the contrition necessary for their salvation on account of one or more good actions which they performed during life. For such souls, purgatory is terrible. It is a real hell, with this difference— that in hell they curse God, makes me think of your story, uh, Alex, whereas we bless him and thank him for having saved us in purgatory. Next come the souls who, though they did not commit great crimes, were indifferent to God. Again, sounds kind of like your library, Alex, which, again, that sounds like a really awesome place Mm -hmm. to go. But uh, (laughs) they did not not fulfill their Easter duties, which, you know, uh (laughs) uh-oh, who does that? And were also converted at the point of death. Many were unable to receive Holy Communion, and they are in purgatory for the long years of indifference. They suffer unheard of pains and are abandoned either without prayers or, if they are said for them, they are not allowed to profit from them. There in this stage is the purgatory of the religious of both sexes who are tepid, neglectful in their duties, indifferent towards Jesus, also priests, who uh, did not exercise their sacred ministry with the reverence due to the sovereign majesty. In other words, uh, lazy priests are in this uh, purgatory. Um, And this, according to to the uh, ghost nun that was witnessed, that's the stage that she was in, the stage that this vision took place. In the second purgatory are the souls of those who died with venal sins, not fully expiated, before death, or with mortal sins that have been forgiven, but for which they have not met the satisfaction of divine justice. Uh, and in this particular purgatory, there are also different degrees. And and in this instance, it doesn't really explain much more, but it's re- I think we can infer from that, that the different degrees, that it's kind of like hell in that it's very personal. Uh, it affects different people in different ways. And lastly, there is the Purgatory of Desire, which is called the Threshold, capital T. And very few escape it. And uh, to avoid it altogether, you have to ardently desire heaven and ardently envision God. And uh, that that is extremely rare, according to her, that even pious people often end up in uh, the Purgatory called the Threshold. And that it has uh, painful martyrdom and deprivation from uh, Christ's love. But other than that, it's not like uh, it's not like the jigsaw version that she was previously talking about. 
So, yeah, interesting stuff. Hmm. There's something inherently bureaucratic to me about purgatory, which I think that's very fitting because, I mean, if you've ever been in a bureaucratic uh, place like the DMV, it, it's pretty much purgatory. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> it is one of the most miserable places to yeah. be. Um, another story that I found interesting was Padre Pio. And, again, great example. Here's a, a priest, in this case a sainted priest. So this is his story. I love that, the, that on the bright side, these people all wrote it down, and they wrote down their stories like really well. Hmm. Okay, while in the friary on a winter afternoon after heavy snowfall, I was sitting by the fireplace one evening in the guest room absorbed in prayer when an old man wearing an old-fashioned cloak, still worn by southern Italian peasants at the time, by the way, this was in 1922 that uh, this was written, concerning this man, P.O. states, I could not imagine how he could have entered the friary this time of night since all the doors were locked. And I questioned him, who are you? What do you want? And the old man told him, Padre Pio, I am Pietro de Mauro, son of Nicola, nicknamed Prococo. Again, what a weird, anyway, it's Italians, I guess. Anyway, Mm -hmm. he went on to say, I died in this friary on the 18th of September, 1908 in cell number four, when it was still a poorhouse. One night while in bed, I fell asleep with a lit cigar, which ignited the mattress, and I died of suffocation in burns. I am still in purgatory, and I need a holy mass in order to be freed. God permitted that I come here and ask for your help. So after hearing him out, uh, Padre Pio celebrated mass, and uh, after that, he never saw him again. So the assumption there is that he was no longer there. And uh, most purgatory stories are kind of like that. Most purgatory stories are just a priest, nun, monk, somebody of that sort describing a vision that they have had. It's usually not someone coming back from the brink. And as such, makes it a little harder to deal with in terms of near-death experiences. Which is why I'm also going to cover a couple other non-heaven, non-hells, but also technically not purgatories. Um, I think it's interesting to note uh, an Islamic view of uh, heaven or whatever you want to call it, really, paradise. Uh, This is interesting. In uh, Libya, there was a boy named Mukhtar. He was 12. And he climbed up a palm tree and fell. And as a result, he was in a coma. Once he woke up, he claimed that he had uh, seen green grasslands, green meadows, which, again, this kid lives in the desert. He's never seen a flipping prairie in his life. (laughs) And uh, he, he heard music, flutes, and tambourines. And he said that he saw a bright light that he was able to look at without needing to protect his eyes, which, again, that's something else we constantly see, you know, a sense of peace and a great, powerful light. And uh, he said that he met his grandfather and his younger brother, both of whom were dead, and that they spoke without moving their mouths. So telepathy Hmm. or some some similar system. I mean, I don't know if it would really qualify as telepathy since you don't have a body at that point. You know, I mean, what would yeah. you call non-corporeal communication? Um, right. <laughs> uh, and here's... Uh, I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, now, this is a fun one. This is a Buddhist example. This is a story. Uh, a woman who was 58 years old, she was in her kitchen, and a cobra bit her, which, you know, it happens, I guess. It sounds terrible. Right? Uh, so she was put in a coffin, and she was put in the Buddhist temple, and she was there for three days. And without any medical treatment, she just flipping woke up three days later, like full-blown Lazarus. And uh, yeah, so in her story, she was in front of her house, 
Two men in Western clothes appeared and told her to get up, which that alone is very odd. And they told her that they wanted to take a walk with her. So she looked back and saw that her house was gone. And the path in oh, front I've seen this movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and the path in front of her was misty. So she's in Silent Hill. And uh, But the weather was cool and pleasant. And groups of people emerged from the mist, including her uncle, Pong. And Pong was dead. And uh, Pong told her, hey, mm. you're dead too. That's why we're, we're hanging out with each other. <laughs> and here's the weird part. Um, he had actually died the day after she was bitten. So she had no way of actually knowing he was dead. It came as a shock to her. Now that's, I mean, mm. whoa, right? Yeah. Wow. Those two men in the Western clothes, they took her before a judge who told her that even though her name was the right name, it was actually another person of the same name who was supposed to be there. <laughs> so he told them to, so I guess the Cobra made the mistake. I don't know how this works. Are Cobras like Reapers basically? Anyway, uh, he told them to take her back and she resisted because she really liked where she was and she wanted to know if heaven or hell were real. And the judge said, uh, well, if you want to know so bad, I mean, we can give you a tour. I mean, he was really that cool with it. So, so unlike uh, your dude, Alex, she was taken to heaven first, which what a horrible, I mean, it's, you know, you'd want to finish on heaven, whatever. You want to do the, yeah. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she said it was a cool place where there were birds and flowers and abundance of food, pretty houses. And uh, then they took her to hell. And she said it was a place where people were whipped, flogged, etc. cetera. And, uh, one, and once it was over after the tour, she she was beating on the lid of the coffin and she was awake and it scared the absolute crap out of the monks in the temple because they just assumed she was a flipping ghost. But afterwards the story was, was verified the fact that, you know, Hey, turns out your uncle Pong. Yeah. He is in fact dead. He died while you were dead. So really wow. trippy stuff. Uh, kind of, this is a, this is a small tangent, but that kind of reminds me of, so she, you said she woke up in a coffin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of the, I don't know if y'all knew this, the term Saved by the Bell. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. 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 Do you know this, James? I do, but you should tell our audience yeah, about this. Yeah. So Saved by the Bell originated from when they would, someone would fall ill and die, and then they would bury somebody only to find out later that, oh, they, they, they weren't that actually dead. The person was actually alive, and there'd be claw marks inside the coffin, mm-hmm. there'd be all kinds of stuff. And so they started putting bells all the way down, they put it in the coffin and it'd be attached to a, but they'd run a string all the way up to the surface where a bell would be attached. And so that way, if anyone ever woke up from being dead, they'd be able to ring the bell and and they would dig them up. And sure enough, it happened. Hmm. Oh man. (laughs) Freaky stuff, man. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of is the TV show, the good place. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, Uh, because of the, the wrong name. The wrong name, and then the judge is like, you know what? Well, Here, same let's name. just show you around. Yeah, <laughs> let's just show you around. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, it's oh, a good, good show. place. Yeah, we really it's recommend a good it. show. That's a really good. One. And I got one more, and uh, this one again, not not very purgatorial, but uh, like I said, the, all the purgatory stories are roughly the same. And I thought you would like this, Alex, because you're a Dragon Ball fan. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and you remember when Goku died? Uh, spoiler alert, everybody! Goku dies sometimes. Um, <laughs> and uh, when he when he was fighting Raditz, and they take him to see uh, King Yama, who judges the dead. 
And then he yeah. goes on Snake's Way. Yeah. Well, this, you know, King Yama is a fundamental part of, of, of Hinduism and Buddhism. And so this, this is a story involving him. So hmm. here's what happened. All right. All right. Tanasiri, a monk, was walking with his cousin to another province. And he was just 13. And while they were traveling, he got a toothache. So they went to the dentist, which didn't even know they had dentists back then, but whatever. And uh, he took the tooth out. But it still kind of hurt, which to me sounds like an abscess, which, yeah, the last thing you want to do with an abscess tooth is take it out. Just straight up take it out. So anyway, he goes to a hotel to sleep, but uh, passes out instead. And when he woke up, he found uh, two what he calls yamatoots, which is the funniest word ever. So they were holding torches, and they looked about 30, and they had really, really dark skin. And they said, let's go. And he says, where are you taking me? And they say, you don't get to ask that. And so he just followed him because he, you know, what else is he going to do? And one of them said to the other one, he says, he's too young. I'm not going to help you. You just do this on your own. I got another job. And he just leaves. So he follows the other one and they come to a crossroad. And at that point, he realized he was lost and didn't know the way back, even if he'd wanted to. And they ended up going to a temple wall. And at that wall was a big gate where he saw a monk giving a sermon to a group of old people. And he made a formal gesture of respect to the monk. And when he did, he realized that the truth and highest form of help was to be found in Buddha and his teachings. Uh, in other words, Buddha Dharma Sangha, the triple gem. And so he kept walking after this you know, revelation to a pavilion. And he was told to wait by that Yamatut fella <laughs> that someone was going to come and meet him. <laughs> and sure enough, someone did. It was another demon-like creature. Again, Yamatuts are, are kind of big, scary demon-type dudes. This one was huge, and, and he had armor and a spear. And he was accompanied by just regular-sized demons, and they were all carrying weapons. And so he's like, uh-oh, this is bad. So they take him to see Yama. And Yama, you know, like, again, the dude from Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> he says uh, <laughs> that he had done a lot of bad things, that he had butchered a lot of chickens, and that he had denied it. And he said uh, that he hadn't done it, not even once. And Yama was surprised and asked the records keeper, how old is he? And uh, the records keeper says, 13. And he says, well, what's his name? And he reads out his name. And he says, again, this, this is such a common thing. He goes, You've got the wrong guy. <laughs> He's not supposed to be 13. Uh, and he says, uh, all right, well, I want to see hell first. And Yama's like, no, you cannot see hell. You're a kid. And he goes, I will tell you one thing, though. How messed up is this? He goes, I will tell you one thing, though. You're going to die at 27, so be ready for that. Oh, that's and, uh, dark. Right? And now, now this is the interesting thing. Uh, when he was 27, he got a year-long stomach ache. The doctor uh, recommended surgery, which, again, think about the time that this was written. And uh, he flipping died. And as he died, according to him, he, uh, he went to hell and saw people being tormented. Now, the problem I have with this is how do we know about all that part? How do we know he went to yeah, hell? Yeah, how do we how do we know yeah. what happened after he died? Yeah, there is no account in that story of him coming back from that. So I find that very strange. But it's an interesting story because it's got King Yama in it. That's really the cool thing. 
That's the only reason you're... Well, I <laughs> yeah. bet you he got that stomach ache because he was told he's going to die at 27. Yeah, so it's just like, it. all right, now I just got to wait. He and probably had the just... world's biggest ulcer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are versions of the story where he's like revived, but it's like, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of a little skeptical. That being said, yeah, those are my Nito Frito Purgatorio stories. Storios. Oof. Yeah. Interesting. Well, thank you for sharing, James. Yeah. That was... You'll take us to a lighter place. I'm going to try and take you to a a lighter place (laughs) to a certain point. Honestly, you guys like researching near-death experiences left me just with more questions than answers. Hmm. Because to me, I guess I kind of had a tough time wrapping my mind around what is technically considered a near-death experience. Dead. Yeah, but that's the thing. (laughs) If you come back, were you ever really truly dead? Well, then you're nearly dead. Then you were nearly dead. That's why it's a near-death. Yeah, but then you died and went to heaven or hell or purgatory, so you were dead. But then you're not really dead because you you come back. You were dead. See, do you understand why I'm so confused, James? A little bit. I mean, mean, here's the thing: declared dead. Yeah. If, in my opinion, if you if you have been declared dead, then whatever you've experienced would constitute a near death experience, whether or not that's valid or not. Whether it's, you know, I, I'm sure you'll probably go into the scientific reason for the explanation for near-death experiences. Whether that's valid or not, I think that it's the closest thing we have because, I mean, if someone just straight up dies and doesn't come back to tell us, then it's not an experience. Well, we would exactly. never know. Yeah. Well, otherwise, it's your logic would be this person nearly died because of a high fever or something like that. Well, then you can chalk it up to a fever dream and it's not a near-death right. experience. Stopped heart, stopped brain activity. <sighs> then everything comes back online and they're like, hey, guys, I was unplugged for 15 seconds, but when they plugged the modem back in, uh, the Wi-Fi was great. Here's what happened. That's, that's, a near, yeah, that's a near-death experience. Okay. All right. Well, we'll go with that. <laughs> is that what you prepared for? Yeah, yeah. No. Well, I actually have some news that's hot off the presses this week about oh. near-death experiences. Uh, it was reported just like three days ago. So I guess when this comes out, it'll be a couple of weeks old. But a group of Danish researchers carried out a survey on the body's response to imminent mortal danger. And they found that out of just over 1,000 respondents across 35 countries, nearly 300 people reported having had some kind of near-death experience, a psychological or spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's like one out of every 10 people. It sounds like an epiphany in response to danger, which that's not – I wouldn't consider that to be near-death. That's that's just a danger experience. I've had one of those. Exactly. Yeah, and I I had a conversation with somebody in my office about this the other day because I asked him if he had ever had a near-death experience. He's like, I was almost yeah, hit by a, a car. That's a near-miss experience. Like, that's not really a near-death experience. <laughs> no, like, it was probably life. really scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's when your life flashes before your eyes. <laughs> not Jesus showing you your life. Yeah, well, here's the thing. <laughs> the scary thing, the discon- disconcerting part, is that 73% of the people who responded that they had had a psychological or... Mm spiritual experience when in imminent mortal danger mm-hmm. they said 73 percent said it was unpleasant mm-hmm. but 106 of those people who scientists claim to have experienced a true near-death experience which i think constitutes what you kind of described james 53 percent said it was pleasant and 14 percent said it was unpleasant that makes uh, that sounds more like what I, at least in terms of finding information 
that well, wait, 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 wait. 53 and 14 don't add up to 100, though. So, <clears throat> some. No, I bet you the other people just didn't didn't respond. Uh, so it was on a survey. Oh, so there, so maybe the other ones they they nearly died and didn't have anything. <laughs> Could be. Well, an important note about this research is that it has not yet been published in a peer-reviewed journal, but it was presented at the European Academy of Neurology Congress. Hmm. So it hasn't been reviewed by peers yet. So just no. take it with a grain of salt. If there's anything we've learned recently is that peer review is almost a joke in some of these scientific journals. I know. Well, that's another thing about any scientific study is like, is this real or not? It yeah. is so I mean, easy to write something and get it published. Yeah. If anyone is curious about what I'm talking about, there was an experiment done by some scientists where they wrote fictional uh, scientific studies and they, got all, they all got published. Yeah. And then people started reporting on them as though they were true. Yeah. Yep. And they they were, went viral. And they were hilariously fake. Like, I don't think anyone would read these and really think they're true, but fake news. Just look man. It up. Well, in this specific study, people who did experience "quote unquote" true near-death experiences, uh, they all kind of reported experiencing the same things when it was happening, like time slowing down, exceptionally fast thoughts, <sighs> vivid senses. Some reported being able to like being sucked out of their bodies and seeing their body lying on the ground. <laughs> so, so that kind of stuff was pretty common from people who experience true near-death experiences some scientists and here's some of the reasons that because like scientists they're grounded in like they want proof they want to know like hard facts okay this is what happened so some scientists believe that near-death experiences occur because there's an overlap with rem sleep cycles so basically when the brain is active and people are dreaming we kind of talked about that last week when we talked about shadow people so some people think that when people experience a near-death experience, they're just in a really deep REM sleep, hmm. which would kind of explain having the vivid, you know, vivid, uh, what feel like really real dreams. Yeah. So some scientists believe that near-death experiences are just dreams. Hmm. In another study I found that was carried out at the University of Michigan, they apparently ran brain scans on poor little rats that were dying, mm-hmm. which makes me sad. But contrary to popular belief that after something has been declared clinically dead, so the brain has stopped working, the heart has stopped working, but they actually found that there's a huge surge of activity in the brain during the death process. Mm. So when something is in the process of dying, they they took a brain scan of these little poor little rat brains, and they found that there was more activity uh, going on than if somebody was just in a wakeful state, happy, healthy, alive, and awake. Yeah. So maybe I read that maybe it's like the the neurons in the brain are firing, trying to like, you know, connect all these parts of the brain. Like, hey, hey, you know, Hmm. emergency. Well, I mean, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of research that suggests that the pineal gland produces like a lot of DMT when a person is dying. And uh, what I find most interesting about that is, you know, it does explain on a chemical level what they are experiencing. But what it fails to explain are, are two things. There are two issues that take with it. One, what would be the potential benefit of that adaptation? I mean, every adaptation that we have is so that we survive and pass our genes on. What about your pancreas? Oh. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, sorry, gallbladder. You mean appendix? Yeah, appendix. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of need your pancreas. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. actually, they've they've been they've been determining. Actually, there's there's actually a lot of uses that the appendix actually yeah, it has. doesn't have like some bacteria in it and stuff like that. Yeah, so it uh, it does play a role. It's not a uh, what's that called? Um, oh man, 
Vestigial. It's not a vestigial organ. Uh, but you don't need your lungs. That's for that's a scientific that's, fact. That's that's common sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, what I find most interesting now about the DMT though is that even if that's the chemical catalyst for what people experience, that doesn't negate the experience. That just explains it on a chemical level. Hmm. Well, how's bells, James? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. That was my topic. Yeah, it was your topic. I'm talking about heaven. <laughs> so let's get into heaven. Okay. So some common factors that I kind of – I read a lot of different accounts. I'm only going to talk about two specific stories of people who claim they went to heaven. But a lot of common factors that I found amongst all these stories were people seeing a tunnel and mm-hmm. a bright light, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty common with a lot of the stories, both whether they went to heaven or hell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. T- the bright, I mean, the bright light is the consistent among everything, I think. Yeah. People who went to heaven saw a magnificent gate. Okay. Uh, they reconnected with loved ones. So they ran into Pong or whoever their loved one was. <laughs> and then there were also, I was surprised by how many accounts of butterflies there were. Apparently there are lots of butterflies in heaven. Oh, really? Which sounds mm-hmm. great to me. I don't, you know, that's one thing that like... I, James, do you see butterflies very often? Because I don't see them very often anymore. I, I sometimes do. And, you know, it's funny you should say that. I was actually just having a conversation with my nephew about this. Sometimes I'll be out and about, like, usually alone. And I will see the shadow on the on the road or on the ground of a butterfly. And I will look and I will not find it. And it's so weird when I see that. I'm like, where is the butterfly? You're you're uh, seeing the, the crossover between... Our reality. In so heaven. here's yeah. the real question. So, so we have a family member that's afraid of butterflies. Yeah, we does do. that mean heaven? It, does that mean for them heaven is hell? <laughs> oh, weird <laughs> man. That's dark. Who is afraid of butterflies? Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that's a good question. She's probably listening right now. Yeah, we won't say her name <laughs> just to protect her and her her fears. <laughs> Don't want anyone to use butterflies against her. Oh man. So. You guys, if you do a Google search on near-death experiences heaven, you'll get a ton of results. There are tons of them out there. Lots of people have died and claimed to have gone to heaven. And I'm going to share the two accounts. And the first one I'm going to talk about is probably the mo- one of the most well-known. I wonder if it's the one that recently had a movie made about it. Heaven experiences? Which one? What are you talking about? Are you talking about well, that heaven is real is. or whatever? Because that kid was a liar. <laughs> like he's been confirmed Yeah, that kid. Liar. that kid admitted that he lied. Yeah, uh, I don't know what he that just one wanted is. to sell well, books. <laughs> it was beautiful. He just wanted the he wanted the attention. I don't know what that one is. Uh, we're going to talk about the story of Eben Alexander. Have you guys heard of him? No, no, nobody. So. Well, this will be fun. I get really excited when I know that nobody's heard of it. Okay, so he was a Harvard neuroscientist who experienced his own near death experience, and he wrote several books on it, which, in my opinion. Always throws a little bit of shade over any type of experience. Sure. Which, yeah, because it's like, hmm. you know, anybody can say they died and went to heaven and they get a book written and then, you know, there's that. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he's written several books about it. But Alexander contracted meningoencephalitis. Whoa. Meningo? Meningo? How do you pronounce meningoencephalitis, that, Meningoencephalitis, yeah. Okay, I had it right. Well, he got that in 2008 and he ended up in a coma. And during his coma, he claims to have seen this bright light um, that so many people claim to have seen when they 
had near-death experience. And he described vivid colors, beautiful scenery, thousands of beings dancing. So there were lots of people dancing around, an angelic choir, and a, quote, lovely girl on a butterfly wing. Uh, but Alexander. What? She was, I think that she was kind of like his guide who said, okay, okay. this is this. But, but on a butterfly, butterfly like she was sitting on it like it was a flying carpet? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I honestly, Weird. I couldn't find that many details because he wrote this, so he didn't really like release many online. Hmm. But I found hmm. his account written in some some article. But Alexander says he was transported through all these different realms until he got to what he called the core realm, which is where the all loving deity was. And he refers to the deity as Om because he says it was a sound that he heard. So like, yeah, Om. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that's that's. Hinduism again. Yeah. That's like naming these things Big Feet. Well, that's... <laughs> I mean, Big Feet. Alex, we're talking about I know. the all-knowing deity right here. Don't make fun of them. <laughs> I'm just saying naming it Om. It's funny. Oh, man. Uh, well, the deity that people report seeing... He, the reason he called it Om was because usually in near-death experiences, people like Christians are going to see Jesus. Hmm. Um, you know, Buddhists are going to see Buddha. <laughs> Why don't you stop there before you start? Yeah, before I start going off on. <laughs> I mean, I guess they might have a different person walking them up there. Well, they're going to call him something different. But anyway, back to Alexander's experience. He said, quote, my brain was incapable of providing any hallucination dream or psychic drug effect due to the global damage of my ne- neocortex. So apparent from my neurologic exam, scans, and laboratory values. So that's why he claims that what he experienced could not have been just like a dream or something that he wasn't supposed to happen. As a neuroscientist, he says, it's not possible when I was in the state that I was in with the the tests that were run on my brain, I couldn't have been having a dream like that. Well, to me, the most interesting thing about these kinds of stories is sometimes they'll observe something that is not explainable. Like uh, one of the Islamic heaven stories, a woman who died, she knew the color of the canisters of the different gases that they were giving her while she was in a coma. And that's something that's like behind a wall where she shouldn't have been able to see it. And another instance, uh, there was someone who she had died and the doctor was trying to revive her and was absolutely swearing like a sailor trying to revive her. And when she came back, she recounted everything he said word for word, even though she'd already expired long since uh, his little tirade. Huh. So, yeah, things like that are what's interesting. Well, yeah, there were some cases where I've I've, uh, read that things like that have happened. People wake up knowing things. Like there was one case where um, a boy had died and he met his sister. And I think that his sister had died before he was born and he just didn't know that she existed. But when he woke up, he knew about his sister. So there, there, I mean, there are lots of cases out there where things like that happen. Um, For Alexander, he is now a firm believer that the consciousness is independent of the brain. Mm-hmm. Important to note though, after his book was released, Esquire released a report that Alexander had been terminated or suspended from multiple hospital positions while working as a neurosurgeon and that he had faced multiple malpractice suits. Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of threw a little. Yeah. To be fair, if you're a doctor, you're going to face malpractice suits. That yeah, being said, the, but- the terminations was kind of a scary. Yeah, but he, I mean, he's he's written I think like three books on this already, hmm. and he in in all the books he goes into greater detail as to what ex, 
what he experienced. They're really like a lot of websites didn't really, you know, go into it. So you'll go buy his book. But anyways, mm. enough about Alexander. Uh, let's talk about Tina Hines. Have you guys ever heard of her? Of the ketchup and dynasty? <laughs> <laughs> her, no. Well, she uh, her story is actually back in the news right now because one of her um, nieces got something tattooed onto her arm, which I'll tell you about in a minute, that has to do with the story. <laughs> but in 2018, I think it was 2018, Tina died. Her heart stopped. She coded multiple times while paramedics were trying to revive her. Um, so she just kept dying and coming back. Shoot. But while she was dead, she claims to have temporarily gone to heaven. And there were some inconsistencies in the way that her story was reported across various websites. But Heinz said that her experience was so real, the colors were very vibrant, and she says that she met Jesus in front of these glowing gates. And as soon as she came to and woke up, she gestured for a piece of paper and scribbled down, it's real, as in mm. heaven is real. Oh. Yeah. And this story, that that's what the her niece got tattooed onto her mm. uh, wrist was oh. the scribbles that say it's real. And it, like when you first look at it, it looks like it's just scribbles, but then you can make out the mm. it's real part. But I thought that that story was yeah, really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. Um, but are these accounts real? One last note, a study that was carried out on near-death experiences by a guy named Stephen Lorais of Belgium. I think that's how you say his last name. He studies people who have had near-death experiences like this, and he says that many come back happier and fearless of death. Hmm. And he also says that a lot of people who experience him have great clarity in the moments after they've died. He is under the umbrella that near-death experiences are just vivid dreams because you're just hmm. near death. Your brain is still alive and functioning, technically, right. according yeah. to him. But but yeah, he says that people who come back are typically happier and less afraid to die in the hmm. future. Interesting. Yeah. That could be the adaptation that warrants it as a uh, desirable trait. Oof. Who knows? So the movie I was thinking of, everybody. <laughs> oh. Breakthrough. Breakthrough? It's called Breakthrough. I haven't seen it. But it's actually a story about a kid that dies for an hour. And he comes back. And it's a true story. <laughs> so you're telling everybody that they need to go see a movie that you haven't watched yet? I didn't recommend it. I just told you where I heard about the story. I just looked it up. Mm. It's called Breakthrough. All right? I had forgotten that you had even mentioned. And so, yeah. <laughs> so there's a story out there about a kid that goes, he finds out the heaven's real because uh. he dies for an hour. And he comes back. No heartbeat for over 40 minutes. Yeah, That's a long time. Yep. That's a long time. Came back, no problems. It's got Topher Grace in it. I did just a few seconds ago, everybody. Yeah, he was he was on his cell phone. He was on his cell phone while I was telling all those stories. I was listening to your stories. Sure, you were. Tell it, me what I said. The person was on butterfly wings. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's really all that I have. But you know, I'd like to hmm. like to believe that heaven is real. That's I personally believe in it. Any of you guys know anybody who has had a near death experience? Uh, if I learned anything from our Shadow People episode, it's probably you, James. Uh, you probably died. I, uh, <laughs> well, it's not me personally, but uh, my grandmother, um, she died. And well, she she's also dead, but she died again. But uh, <laughs> but the first time she died, according to her, it was really nice. And she met people that she had lost. And uh, it was just a beautiful place where she was in a state of consistent joy 
and was actually livid that she was brought back. That's what a lot of people report. If they went to heaven, I can't I can't say the same for hell or purgatory because I didn't really look I into doubt those. They're, but they're, people <laughs> who went to heaven. Yeah. Oh. yeah, I doubt they're disappointed. Yeah, they yeah. Well, a lot of people who go to heaven don't want to come yeah. back. Yeah. Interesting. They're hmm. told by <clears throat> Om or God or I think anybody, it's, hey, it's not your time yet. I think it's interesting that so many people have so many similarities, even if they have no background in religion. Some of them have same similarities. Now, you could you could chalk that up to general cultural knowledge about these things, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's very I interesting. I think there's something to it. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting, and I was very happy that Sandy recommended this topic yeah. for us because that was a fun one to look into, yeah, at least for me. I, yeah, it's not one I would have normally even thought of yeah. myself. Yeah. So, see, that's why we need people to send these in. Yeah, send us your topic, people. We can't people. think of everything. We've got, I mean, we've got a lot in our little vase, but we'd like to have more. We always want to have more. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, tweet us at 13th Floor Pod or Instagram us at 13th Floor Podcast. Or just, you know, just email them to 13th Floor Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And, well, we don't want to go there yet. I was going to say we should do our music, but. We're not there yet, James. We're not there yet. James, do you have anything else you want to add to near-death experiences? Hmm. He's thinking. The reason we don't get so many purgatory stories is because we're already there. That's one thing that I was thinking about when I was doing my research. What if this is technically purgatory? I grew up always believing that like purgatory was a place where you could go and you had you just had to work to get to where you were supposed to go. It was kind of like the, you know, Basically, yeah, it's a place yeah. where uh, misdeeds are sort of uh, made up for. Yeah, and it, so internship. It's like we're just we're just trying <laughs> to get to the the good place. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And what's that lady from the good place? Uh, Kristen Bell. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is about her that is so attractive, <laughs> but there is just something about her that I can't. Like, usually if somebody's pretty, it's like, they're pretty because of X, Y, and Z. With her, it's like, I don't know what it is. I think she's the best. She seems like she's really Mm. nice in real life. She does seem nice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you guys, if you you haven't watched The Good Place yet, watch it. Don't start with the last episode of the first season like my brother did, and he ruined the entire show for himself. Don't do that. (laughs) Start from episode one and then just go forward. Don't pull an Anthony. I like that you just put him on blast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get a text message from my brother, and he's like, "This the show, the Good Place is really good. I can't believe, you know, that this happened." I'm just like, "Where did you start?" Like, <laughs> that's the last. I've never episode. heard of anybody doing that. It's such a weird thing. <laughs> Who does that? Oh man, oh, man. So funny. I, I love you, Anthony, but that that was funny. That was really that funny. Was funny. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't have anything else to add other than Oh, we gotta get our next episode. Oh yeah, we got it we gotta get our next episode. Alex. I've got the vase. The infamous Ruffle vase. Ruffle around. Oh yeah, the dryer, a, there's a dryer ball it has inside. A dryer it. ball in it for It's some all reason. wet because Louise was chewing on it. Our dog oh. got a dryer ball out oh. of the laundry. Now it's gonna defeat the purpose of a dryer ball because now it's dirty getting the clean things dirty. Uh, Alex, just pick <laughs> pick one. I need to clean this. Yeah, oh right. man. I don't even know what a dryer I'm ball so is. I'm so excited for this one, guys. Okay. Mandela effect. Ooh. We're doing the Mandela oh, effect. I don't even deep. know where to begin with that yeah. one. Oh, I do. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. This is one of my most. This is. I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just really excited. We, we open in Stein's gate. 
Well, you guys, you guys, in another dimension, somebody's hearing this and saying, they've already done an episode on the Mandela Effect. Oh, very true. (laughs) Hey, for anybody out there, if you want to do a little homework before we we go ahead with the Mandela Effect episode next week, you should watch Steins Gate. Watch Steins Gate. Now, now, it's an anime, so it's not for everybody's tastes. Give it several episodes. And it'll teach you all about time travel, all about Mandela effect type things. It's it's super fascinating. Well, James, for our listeners who aren't really up to date or know what the Mandela effect is, can you give a really quick definition? Sure. Uh, let's start with the name. It comes from the fact that a lot of people swore up and down that in like, I think it was 1997, they saw Nelson Mandela's funeral. Uh, whereas... In our timeline, he became prime minister of South Africa and went on to die of old age, like, what was it, like seven years ago? Somewhere in that ballpark. It wasn't long ago. I was actually working uh, at a news station, and Uh. yeah, there was a special report that broke into our show when his deal started. I can see that being the case, yeah. So in other words, it's just sort of discrepancies between memory and reality um, that are so powerful that that the person who finds out about it tends to insist that no 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 that can't be the case. Yeah, there's some there's some, and it's a lot of people usually find these things like yeah, it, it, it's oh, large man. groups of people have the same memory and yeah. oh I got a fun story. I've, I, I have I have several that have happened to me. Oh, the, we'll save it for the next step. Yeah, James, yeah, don't yeah, go yeah. don't go into your story. But there's yeah, well, there's, no. I, I have personal experiences with it. So I think that everybody has personal experiences. And listeners, when you listen, if you don't really know what the Mandela effect is, I can promise you after you listen to the episode, you'll be like, What? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. But oh, it didn't yeah. happen. Anyways, all right, guys. Our music is Signal by Grant Cook. You can find him on Amazon Music. Hi, James. Say it loud enough for somebody to hear. I can't what I, what's the what's the what's the Apple Music, I, Apple music. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube Music, find Amazon him. Music, anywhere yeah. where music services are provided. Yes, you can find him everywhere. Okay, I guess I, until next time, you guys. Keep, keep it strange. strange. Also, review us for five stars. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>